Good morning. This is the Fresh Art International Show on Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. I'm Kathy Bird. Today we're talking about fourth wave feminism and specifically about contemporary feminist art that centers on self representation, sexuality, and the body. Let's begin by listening to our Fresh Art International podcast episode with Miami based artist Jillian Mayer. Jillian's videos, sculptures, installations, and web projects explore a range of contemporary issues. In 400 Nudes, she faces questions of identity, sexuality, and authenticity. So what does Jillian have to say about nude selfies, revenge porn, and feminism in the age of Snapchat? Today's global access to mobile devices and the Internet has created the opportunity for a new virtual rite of passage, the nude selfie. But while young women take charge of how they photograph their bodies, they often lose control when they click send to share them. One Miami-based artist has immersed herself in this phenomenon. For more than a year, Jillian Mayer sifted through thousands of nude self-portraits on Google, Tumblr, and revenge porn sites and she photoshopped hundreds of the images she found, replacing the faces of the nude selfies with her own. I really wanted to find um, different types of women. I also wanted to find ones that particularly weren't necessarily ones that looked like they were uh, mass-marketed. The reason I'm interested in the selfie as opposed to a nude portrait of a female was because Ideally, or inherently, if it is a selfie, it was directed and executed by the person in the photo. And then if it was accessible to me, it's because that person either sent it, they sent it to someone else. So it wasn't a personal photo that was to remain on their cell phone. It was one that was meant to be shared. And um, most of the time in my research, Nude selfies were not meant or initially intended to be mass distributed. There's a certain age group reflected. You chose an age range. I chose anyone to me that looked over 18. You weren't looking on adult sites. You were looking on mainstream Tumblr, Google. Were you looking on hidden sites or sites you have to subscribe to? No, I was going for public sites, especially revenge porn ones, because those are ones that are positioned to be ones that are um, uploading uh, pictures of females where they weren't um, authorized. So kind of to recapture and reclaim these images of these girls. Scrolling through the images that Jillian shared with me, I realized there's something really positive here. In their poses, These young women show what they love about their bodies. They control the male gaze when they snap the photos. I think it's great that people document themselves, and so many of the women in this batch, or the women that were most easy to find, have really beautiful bodies, and they're all really different. So that was kind of exciting to see the women, I don't want to use the word objectify, but they definitely center themselves as the main event in the photo. So they were all taken with acknowledgement, yet after that is when the information kind of gets blurry. 
There's no shortage of nude selfies on the web. In fact, Jillian had over a million naked bodies to choose from. In this mass group of photos, it was really interesting to me because you can't help but feeling that some malice occurred. And I'm not saying in every photo because there are lots of people and websites for, for contributors to upload their own selfies, but I have a feeling that a lot of these were somehow leaked or uh, given away without authorization. In her search, one find was a nude selfie advice column for teens. These are tips that are made to protect uh, young people, and particularly young girls, in the information I was reading. And one of the top tips was don't include your face. And I thought, oh, okay, obviously, that's for there to be no identity with this naked body. But then I thought, how funny is that, that this magazine or this, this post is giving these tips, and the first tip is to decapitate yourself, to remove your identity, because it's expecting that these pictures will come back in a bad way, in a way that you didn't intend. So it just kind of sent me off into thinking about what could be potential ways to control the information while still being exhibited. Jillian reflects on global concerns about information sharing and privacy. I guess the network of information and identity becomes something that I really tune into with this work. Also, by placing my face upon each image, in a way I universalize the online naked nude selfie. Everyone is the same after a while. I guess what I'm really interested in is the disruption of information, even onto such a minute level as one's nude self-portrait. Is any one of these pictures actually you? Yes. There are a couple that are me, and then there are a couple that are me with um, distortions, so uh, like Photoshop manipulation of features. In fact, Photoshopping is one way that Jillian envisions safely sharing intimacy online. If everyone could disrupt photos, is that the future of the online naked nude? If I wanted to share a photo of myself with someone, would the best and safest way to go about it to be creating maybe 10 images and where the proportions are distorted or I've taken different body parts from different people. It becomes a, a game of like authenticity and identity confusion and I find that really interesting. Did you have a team with you for your photo shoots or were you shooting selfies? No, no, I had a team. I had a team of people helping. It's really difficult to do a lot of my media projects without anyone. I'm often dependent on many talented friends and professionals. Was your idea that it should look as much as possible like it did originally? Or were you trying to make it look slightly off? They're supposed to be as, as good as possible, but most of the time they're not going to look perfect. And um, some of them are actually even quite bad, but they're not supposed to be real. They're supposed to be an image that was altered. When she goes public with her project, Jillian understands that she will likely compromise her future. For me now, my Google image results will be ruined. If someone was looking up 
perhaps me online or my Google image results, and they find a naked nude, perhaps that could jeopardize me from something. And now there'd be a certain impression of me and it's kind of like a scandal, right? That you're, you have this photo online of your body. We all have a body. Yet there's a lot of shame that's wrapped up into having your naked photos online. Jillian's risky work seems just about perfect for the 2014 Montreal Biennial. Considering the citywide exhibition theme is L'Avenir, what is to come? My project is an experiment, and it is dealing with very timely and very contemporary issues. It's a fluid project, and the outcome of it is not 100% chartable or trackable. So I think that it's reflective of, of the internet in that, in that way, where I kind of release this project and once it's out of my hands, I have no control. We're now constantly dealing with issues and having to come to conclusions on where we stand with privacy and um, information sharing. So I guess this project fits into that category. So I don't want it to sound like a pessimistic project, but I think it just brings up a lot of these concerns of the future. Montreal's Contemporary Art Museum will display hundreds of Jillian's 3 by 5 inch nude photo prints. And in the space, you'll see that the artist has further exposed herself by leaving endless copies for you to take home. Viewers are allowed to take as many of these photographs with them as they like. A lot of my projects, especially this one, it's important to have a physical and a digital existence. Um, to me, it becomes more real and uh, more interesting, especially for the confusion of information, if there's um, different iterations of a project. There's one more dimension in which it will appear, which would be online sites, from what I understand. Where would I go to find these images online? Well, there will be a main site called 400nudes.com that will host all the images with no information, but they will also be disseminated through various websites. I'm going to upload them back to revenge porn sites. I'm going to get them on Tumblr and places that I initially sourced these images from because I think that they should exist in some capacity alongside the originals. Where do you see this project leading you? This project will probably lead me to not ever get a job where <laughs> it matters when they Google image search you because a lot of the pictures will start coming up in my Google image feed. That's how I know it's successful. I'm not sure where this project will lead me. I've been playing a lot with identity online uh, throughout my art history, so I think it's just another step into whatever I'm trying to figure out. I'm Kathy Bird, and this is Fresh Talk with Jillian Mayer. Jillian is one of the artists featured in our series about three international biennials taking place in North America this year. Visit Fresh Art International to view some of the selfies we've been talking about. This is the Fresh Art International show on Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. I'm Kathy Bird. Today's program is about fourth-wave feminist art. You've been listening to my conversation with Miami-based artist Jillian Mayer about her web-based project featuring 400 nude selfies. Now let's hear from filmmaker Robert Adanto 
on how he documents the work of contemporary women artists that openly explore and expose their bodies and their sexuality in performance, writing, and web-based art. I am speaking with Robert Adanto. He's a filmmaker and actor from L.A., based in Miami. He has an MFA in acting from New York University's Tisch School of the Arts, and he's been making films for some years now that have been screened across the U.S. and in Europe. I'm really happy to have you on my show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I think it, it would be great to hone in on the women artists that you've documented and your self-professed feminist viewpoint. I want to showcase and investigate and, I guess in a way, promote the female artists, whether they're from Iran, from China, from New Orleans, or from Brooklyn, because uh, women artists are not, not, I don't want to say that they're not respected, but when it comes down to sales and the market, they certainly don't represent uh, the place that men do. So I always make it a, a thing to be able to show them. And, and I think what they're doing is really interesting and pertinent, and it should be known and investigated. Right. And these films that you've made feature really strong female protagonists, I would call. They're fairly dramatic, some of the work. And the, the boldness of their their creative practice and the fact that they're willing to do projects that would be considered politically incorrect by certain waves of feminists, Mm -hmm. certain levels of feminism or certain uh, views of feminism would reject the views of the women in your film. For example, the one called the F word Mm -hmm. that you produced in 2015, this film you started working on in 2014, correct? Yes. And it explores the radical fourth-wave feminist performance through interviews with a new generation of feminist artists who use their bodies as subject matter. This territory of female sexuality and self-objectification and feeling that these artists that you found for the F-word really look at feminism as a, a site of resistance, a place of resistance, and the female form as a site of resistance, right? Mm-hmm. What about um, talking, maybe to contextualize what we're going to cover in the F-word conversation, these four waves of feminism, what they are. Neither of us, I mean, I'm not a specialist in feminism. I found myself uh, getting ready to talk to you, wanting to figure out how it would describe them. Mm -hmm. So I thought maybe we could do that together. Here's what I came up with. And you can (laughs) add to it. Sure. Um, the first wave being the suffrage movement, women trying to get vote and jobs be accepted in the market, not necessarily art market, being from the 1800s to the 1900s. Mm-hmm. And then the 1960s through the 90s, I'm thinking, is the second wave. You covered some of the artists from the second wave in your film. Yes. Uh, the film starts off in Hannah Wilkie, is there. Carolee Schneeman is in the film. The second wave, most people say it's, you know, those artists and things like now and uh, the fight for abortion rights, uh, 
It expands past art, art into, into life, gender identity, the fight for acceptance of different kinds of expression of self. Mm-hmm. And so the third wave I'm looking at as being the 1990s to early 2000 and covering the NEA, the culture wars, the NEA 4, Karen Fenley, um, Barbara Kruger, Kara Walker, Mm-hmm. What other artists did you cover that are from the third wave? Well, and and some people might say that the third wave even starts a little earlier. There's kind of an overlap, but a lot of people call it third uh, third world in that a lot of queer thinkers, um, gay feminists believe that the second wave was really only about, you know, middle class white women and it wasn't looking to help black women and there's the whole idea of intersectionality that comes into place so that's really kind of that third wave and as uh, Kristen says in the in the film some people equate the third wave with like zine culture and Kathleen Hanna you know writing slut on her stomach and the whole the riot girls yeah the riot girls gorilla girls gorilla girls right so uh, that's really that third wave as how and you've mentioned Barbara Kruger, Cindy Sherman. Um, and some people believe that some of those artists, not the Gorilla Girls, of course, but even Barbara Kruger, uh, their, their messaging, they were messaging feminist ideas, but they weren't necessarily using the body overtly the way some of those more radical part of the second wave did. Right, so the fourth wave being around 2005 to present, is really where new technology, video, photography, and the internet came into play in a serious way, and the whole selfie culture. Yeah, I, I, selfie's part of it, but definitely the, these are all women who grew up with the internet, um, and they use the internet to share works, to connect with one another, And as a platform and a place where they can do work and distribute work in new ways and get it out there. It's such an incredible time in that, I mean, I'm of course friends with all the artists who are in my film, but since making the film, so many people have friended me on Facebook and sent me videos and links and I could make four F-words, and I could choose to make an F-word that's about Latin American artists doing radical performance. I, I mean, there's so many... It's a global explosion yeah. of, of content and, and creative practice. Yeah, and you can really see um, different artists influencing one another, especially when it comes to something like selfie culture or how the technology is used. Uh, and there's so many... Things like whether you're being slut-shamed or put down and what people get out of posting images about themselves or provocative images online. Right. And when you produce this film, some of the texts mentioned that the artist, from their Brooklyn-based artists you focused on, that they're marginalized by the mainstream art world. They were at the time this was released. Do you think... Even a year later, they'd still be considered at the margin, or do you see a shift? Well, within they're they're becoming valued as 
platforms as artists, as projects? Well, one thing that's really interesting, and it began even before I made the film, a lot of the larger New York museums are using performance. They've incorporated into their um, platform, and it's, it's cheap, it's inexpensive, and... They're, and they want to be able to say that we're cutting edge and bring in younger people into the museum. So they've started to use it. So a lot of these artists, Narcissisters, had performances at the Whitney. They've performed at MoMA. So, yes, they're marginalized by the art market because they've chosen, like earlier generations of some feminist performance to not make art that's sold, not to make an item. You know, some of them even say that in the film, like I've, I've never been into wanting to make work that can be sold or an object like I am. I I'm both the muse and the maker and they take, a, uh, they take pride in that. So yes, they're on the margins, but a lot of that marginalization is they're doing it themselves. They don't want to be part of that mainstream so they have to have day jobs in order to make that happen <laughs> yeah let's listen to a few of the voices that are featured on in this film as soon as you introduce a bit of sexiness or sexuality into an artwork it suddenly becomes questionable just because something elicits arousal or shows elements of sexiness does absolutely not make it not art. Sex-positive feminism is really taking over as one of the major issues within this new wave, whereas in years past, there was a lot of discussion about what women shouldn't do with their bodies in order to respect themselves. It's the same thing, but it's sort of twisted on its head, that women should do these things with their bodies because they respect themselves. I think that the biggest misconception about my work is that I am solely an entertainer. The other one is that what I'm doing is not empowering to women. I find it more powerful to have that connection of performing an action. I do have a structure and I kind of know what will happen, but there is that sense of danger, a part of it that's not known to me yet. My biggest problem is when people say, oh, that's already been done before. You know, feminist, feminist performance art, that already happened. That's a movement, like, move on. Like, you know, they did it, and it was interesting when they did it, but now it's passe. What about all the, you know, terrible abstract painting that's being created? And no one is saying that to all these young men who are getting flipped right now and being successful, and no one is being like, oh, comments about painting, about painting, like that's already happened before. So then you do realize it is because of their biases against women using their bodies. When people ask me, oh, why is your work so sexual? You know, I get that question a lot, especially from women. We still live in a fairly puritanical society. I feel that there's so much important work to be done in these places and so much fresh new imagery that one can present or fresh new insights. What does it mean to be looked at? What does it mean to look at yourself? What does it mean to look at others? Like all these questions, I feel like I'm very much engaged in and exploring. So I think for me, the art is a bit of, it's a reclaiming of my, um, myself as a body and as an image and as a um, powerful woman.
Tell me about the artists whose voices we just heard. You see Leah Schrager, who's a, a Brooklyn-based artist. She works in photography and video, and she actually does photographic works, which I'm curating right now for a show called Glitter Peach. Um, she's also done a practice called Naked Therapy, and it's a way for her to actually make money to promote herself. She's starting a rock band. She's doing all sorts of things. Anne Hirsch, who was living in Brooklyn at the time, has since moved to Los Angeles. And she is actually one of the first artists to start using the internet. Uh, she had the Scandalicious Project, which she did on YouTube. And her career is kind of exploding. She just was at uh, the MIT Museum, a solo show there. She's produced a play based on a relationship she had as a young girl online. Uh, that was a really interesting idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, and it's a play that came about because she originally wrote the book based on that experience, but then uh, Amazon thought it was too controversial, so they, they called it pornographic, so they wouldn't release it, and she wanted to get her story out. She had had an affair when she was actually 12 years old in a, in a chat room on AOL with a gentleman who was about 28 or 29. They had online sex. They never met, but uh, it was something that, I guess, satisfied a need in her to kind of explore her own sexuality. And she ended up making a play called Playground based on those conversations, and it's now been done in L.A., in London, and in New York, it, it originated. So in the, in the mode of performance, there are many opportunities to expand outside the Internet and to real life. I think that's one reference you made about the difference between the URL and IRL experiences of these artists. Yes, uh, and you mentioned Kate Durbin. Kate Durbin's also uh, a writer, and a poet, and she teaches at Whittier College Creative Writing. Um, she's doing more and more performance. She did the Hello Selfie here in Miami last year for Art Basel, one iteration of it, but she's also done it with men in Australia. The original was done Hello Selfie in Los Angeles. I think all of these artists seem to be uh, very much into, uh, well, many of them embrace fashion and the star culture, Leah in particular, but that idea of being very feminine, being very girly, as it was described by Kristen Soleil when, in her uh, conversation on the film, that willingness to embrace as a feminist the girliness that was rejected by second-wave feminists and some third-wave feminists, and uh, daring to go ahead and be provocative in that way. And that brings us to the conversation about your new film that you're working on with Marta Jovanovic. She was born in Belgrade, Serbia, and she lives and works between London, New York, Rome, and Belgrade. Her multimedia work interrogates identity, beauty, and sexuality. I think she is one who definitely embraces fashion as a creative medium. Why do you consider it really important to document Marta's work, a, a single artist's life and work? Um, specifically, what drew me, and I, I met her through Dr. Kathy Batista, who's in the F Word. 
And as I was getting close to finishing the F word, Kathy says, you know who should be in this film is Marta. And she showed me a catalog to a show that uh, she had curated. But I just, I, after looking through it and reading the history, as I said earlier, I'm very much into history and it's so dense and it's one of those things that when it comes to Westerners, if that's going to be my audience, people in the United States or even people in Western Europe, they don't really know the history of the Balkans. They don't even know where Serbia is. They don't know the three nations that exist that were part of the former Yugoslavia. Her grandfather was a Muslim. Her grandmother was Jewish. They married. Her family, she, her grandmother was the only person to escape the Holocaust and decided to stay in Yugoslavia. She embraced living under communism. Her experience is so un-American and not American that I just said, I need to show this woman's whole life. Plus, she's probably got about eight or nine years on most of the artists in the F word. And there's a certain uh, veritas and, and gravitas to how she carries herself that I said, wow, I've got to just make a film about her. I don't need others. You know, she's that interesting. And her work is too. She's working in, a, in multiple forums. She does video, but she does a lot of live performance and live performance that is very much the tradition of Belgrade. Well, let's listen to Marta talking about her work. Sure. Belgrade, but also the Balkans, has been somehow marked by the bloodshed for centuries. And I think we carry all that in, in, in our DNA. Everything that's happening in Serbia, culturally and politically, is driven from the sadness or from some sort of um, victimization. And that victimization is coming from the past. In me, there is this thirst for flight. When I make physically the work, that's the most important element. I don't care about the consequences, in a way. I don't care what will remain. Performance gives me the possibility to be physically in the work. That is my playground, and that is my life. And that's where I've realized that I really have no regrets. I'm not a good wife but I am so many other things. I would have not changed my life for anything in the world right now. And the only thing I really want is to make my artworks. I think you really need to crash in life, but really crash into gazillion pieces in order to be able to then get up, kind of clean yourself and say, okay, now I can start again. Tell me about the meaning of the title. The film has a title that's born just now. When you're doing performance as Marta does it, it's so present. It's like you're born just now in that moment, not thinking about it, not reflecting back on it, but in the moment 
doing your task, and that is a freedom. She says it in the film, like it's just this whole flow that she feels as an artist that she's never felt more powerful as a woman, as a creator, as a maker of art. Marta was married to her gallerists, okay? An Italian gentleman who I'm going to interview in LA in a couple of weeks. Very traditional Italian, great guy, but he wanted her to have his child. So Marta divorced him. She divorced him after eight years of marriage. She didn't want anything to do with having a kid. And she always said she never wanted a kid. You filmed her performing motherhood. She had 740 eggs, each egg representing each time she ovulated in adulthood and decided not to be a mother. So it's a piece where she is breaking those eggs. She put them in little sacks. And that was a performance that she did in Belgrade in 2016, in February. This is a new life for her. And I also look at it when she's performing. If you've ever seen her do her work live, it's very different from the performance that I experienced watching some of the things in the F word in that she's so present. She has a background as a classical ballerina. There's a whole lot of drama that just goes, she's so focused and intense that some of it comes through in the breaking of the eggs in that performance where she didn't realize that the eggs are gonna fall, the yolk is gonna fall into my eyes. And as she was doing that, there was a performance that went on for about 55 minutes. She kept slipping and falling but she kept doing it. Her arms were weak. She's a small woman. She had that little hammer and she kept going through it. And she sets herself up with these uh, physically demanding situations that she has to put herself through. She's doing one that's exploring S and M and bondage on the 22nd. I, luckily my camera person in Belgrade is gonna be able to capture that one for me, but she, it's a collaborative project. She really does do extreme work in that tradition of marina or early marina work um, that's physically demanding. And, and then yet she carries herself with the grace of a flower. You know, she's just there's a part of her that's very sensitive, very kind, very old European. And I love the contrast because she's putting herself in. And it's great drama for me to make a film about it. Like, I think it's going to be my best film personally just because of the subject matter. Thank you for sharing these projects with me, Robert. It's wonderful to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to my conversation with filmmaker Robert Adanto. This is Fresh Art International on Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. I'm Kathy Bird. Today's show is about fourth-wave feminist art. In his film The F Word... Robert introduced me to the work of artist Leah Schrager. I met Leah minutes before a screening of Robert's film at the Miami Beach Cinematheque. Here's what we talked about. Leah Schrager, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Nice to meet you. Great to meet you. I'm Kathy Bird with mm-hmm. Fresh Art International. And I had a great conversation with Robert Adanto about the film in which you are highly prominent. <laughs> Have you seen it? Or is I have seen okay, it. Great. I have awesome. seen it. And I am I really would love to know how it feels to mm-hmm. have a filmmaker 
take that much interest in your work as it's evolving? Mm. Um, well, I'm incredibly flattered. <laughs> um, I, when we first recorded, I kind of had no idea, obviously, what, what the documentary would be like. And I was just, I was so thrilled. I, I mean, it's really, what's really most amazing for me is to see my work put in such thoughtful context with so many other amazing artists and the historical perspective. I mean, it's such an amazing job, I think. And I know the film is representing, uh, the title is the F word, mm -hmm. and the representation is, it's, it's voicing the, the fourth wave of feminism. Mm -hmm. yeah. How do you see the fourth wave of feminism? Yeah. I think about it as the kind of feminism that has been enabled since online activity. Um, that's my basic, like what happens when women can perform online? Um, and then all the other things that come along with that. Um, so that's, that's my short version of it. <laughs> and we, we call that the post-internet generation, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, because yeah. people that grew up with the internet as a way of exploring, yeah. identifying, and communicating, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah so exactly. what about the downside of that, besides the fact that artists like you are not necessarily taken seriously mm -hmm. because you're using your body mm -hmm. as yes. the media? Yes. Uh, the downside of that is what's also happened on the internet that is denigrating to women and subjectifying them in a way that maybe isn't their choosing. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? Um, it's a very complicated playing field, um, but I think that part of what we're doing now is we're all learning how to operate in it, in which sort of our normal laws don't really apply. Um, when I put out work, I'm pretty prepared for it to be taken a lot of different ways. And depending on how someone comes at it, they're going to take it a really different way. And that's part of what's interesting to me. I think that's part of what I'm exploring. Um, I'm not at the point yet where I can say how people should react. I'm, I'm just, just really interested in how people do react. And I'm curious what led you to that as your medium in the first place. Because yeah. as an artist, there are so many ways you can express your ideas right. and your belief systems. Right. What yes. led you to that's this form of expression? Wow, that's a great question. Um, for me, I think first I, I started as a dancer, a modern dancer, and I'm a model. And so what I realized was with the sort of digital technology and being able to to exist online, I could kind of get free of a lot of the restrictions that I felt working under photographers or under choreographers. So for me, it was a real freedom place because I could use my own voice, I own my images, and I could share them, and I, they could reach anywhere. Um, so that was that was one big thing for me, as I especially as I moved into more visual art. Like, how do you make that transition from performance to visual? Um, and then the other thing was I sort of stumbled onto it and my first sort of big project was the Naked Therapy Project and that kind of took on a life of its own online through the media. Um, so it kind of taught me what's possible online and also the crazy sort of anarchy that happens there too. I learned kind of by immersion. <laughs> And how and does it feel? You liked it. <laughs> yeah, and I liked it. I thought it yeah. was really fun and exciting. Yeah. 
I've learned I have to be pretty strong just to take the negative and to not let it get to me and to continue to use the odd line as a real like powerful and and far-reaching place um, it's but it's hard it's hard <laughs> it's definitely a challenge I mean it, it conflates a lot of different worlds that some people would prefer to remain separate as a creative economy yeah it seems to be to have the potential of being lucrative because yeah. of the rising interest and acceptance of sexual mm -hmm. imagery, content, mm -hmm. and yeah. views of women yeah. and men yeah. being yeah. more mainstreamed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say it's mainstream. I would say, yeah. Yeah, I think um, you're right. Mainstream's a little right, bit optimistic. All, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I would love it to be more mainstream. I think that would be really cool, actually. Um, but, but at least it is online. My overall hope is that pro-sex and pro-sexuality and pro-nakedness and pro-female body would become a more mainstream perspective. I hope that maybe as the conversation develops around it and people um, can speak about it more openly that that it's less like the porn that's hidden under the rug that no one wants to talk about, but it's something that we can talk about maturely and thoughtfully. Because I think it's ultimately freeing and beautiful. And I wish you the best, Leah. Thank you. Thank, thank you for you. spending time with me. Well, thank you for your thoughtful questions and discussion, really. That was artist Leah Schrager talking about her determination to freely express her sexuality in her art. Today on Fresh Art International, we explored some of the art and ideas that define fourth-wave feminism. Our show featured the voices of Jillian Mayer, Robert Adanto, Leah Schrager, and Marcia Jovanovic. To hear more of our Jolt Radio shows, visit our page on SoundCloud. If you like what you're hearing, please let us know. We're on Twitter and Instagram at FreshArtINTL and at Jolt Radio. I'm Kathy Bird. Thank you for joining me this morning. Meet me here every Wednesday for Contemporary Art Talk.